Welcome to this edition of The Bounce Podcast. I'm Bob Lapine. I'm the lead pastor at Redeemer Community Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm also a part of the Great Commission Collective. Serve on the board of directors for GCC. You can find out more about our mission at GCC by visiting our website, which is gccollective.org. We're all about planting churches and strengthening leaders strengthening church pastors, both here in the United States and around the world. We want to see the Great Commission advanced through church planting. We believe that's a key part of all of this. And again, find out more about the Great Commission Collective when you go to gccollective.org. We're going to talk about church planting on this edition of The Bounce. And Nathan Knight is going to join us. He is a pastor. He pastors uh, Restoration Church in Washington, D.C. He serves on the lead team for the Treasuring Christ Together Church Planting Network that came out of uh, the Bethlehem Baptist Church church planting efforts that John Piper was a part of. Uh, Nathan and his wife, Andy, live in Washington, D.C. They have two sons. Nathan has written a book called Planting by pastoring. And it's a book that takes a good hard look at the essentials of uh, planting and what's essential to be a planter. Kind of strips away some of the the techniques that are often applied or the uh, the secular strategies, if I can say that, that sometimes get imported into church planting and comes back to the basics of what does the Bible say about what we're to do in planting. Uh, and, and that's really where we started by looking at Nathan's book and how it differentiates the biblical approach to planting from a more secularized view. So Nathan, welcome. I, I As I looked at your book, I thought th- this is really a, um, a critique in some ways, of the modern church planting movement and the values that have been trumpeted or advanced as if if you want to plant a church, this is who you need to be, this is what it needs to look like, and you're coming back in to say, time out, I think we have lost the, the trees I don't know if I'm using the right metaphor here. I, I think we have. Uh, I think we've lost sight of what's really important here. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's it's uh, so thankful for all of the different uh, ministries out there that are pushing church planning. I think that's been a good shift. I'm a, I'm a I'm a child of that kind of emphasis. However, yeah, I think we've begun to kind of center business principles and ideologies. And begun to de-emphasize biblical principles and ideologies, and just trying to pull. You know, I don't want to get rid of those other things, but I do want to try to center and emphasize the things Scripture emphasizes. And and I think that's helpful because as I was thinking and and going through the book, I was thinking, all right, we know that there's more to church planting than entrepreneurial visionary leadership, and right market savvy and cultural awareness. And then I thought, yes, but those aren't necessarily bad things. Won't it help a planter to have some of those tools in his toolkit? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things 
I talk about a good bit in the book is is just this we're not we're not trying to completely destroy the the kind of emphasis the ideologies that we're seeing in the church planning conversation we're just trying to again recenter and emphasize those things that Jesus seems to emphasize and I think that kind of the hypothesis here is that the the more that we emphasize the things that scripture emphasizes not only do we reflect the heart of Christ but secondly I think we we plant churches that are more like churches built with bricks and not sticks and straw, like the other two little pigs that get blown down by the big bad wolf. So that's the more we emphasize those biblical principles, the more we, we build churches with bricks and not straw. You start the book by talking about the four S's that typically drive church planting. Uh, just, just recap. I think that's helpful, a helpful grid for us to be thinking through. What are they? Yeah, size, speed, self-sufficiency, and spread. So try to get as many people as possible. There's the size. Uh, Get them as quickly as possible. There's the uh, speed at which to do that. And then thirdly, uh, the self-sufficiency. Be financially self-sufficient as quickly as you can. And then fourthly, spread, multiply as much as you can, as fast as you can. Those four things have become kind of centered as the definitions of success. And again, just as we just said, I'm in favor of all four of those things. I want those things. I trust you do as well. However, those things don't get to define success. Uh, Those things may or may not come. However, we need to make sure and center the things that Jesus does. And so those four S's are things that we cannot manufacture. We want them. We pray for them. However, they are not the definitions of success. What success is, is planting healthy churches, which I'm happy to define too, if you want to go there. I think we should. I, I, if, if we're planting, if we're trying to launch, what should be the criteria that we're using to measure? Are we doing what God's called us to do? Yeah, I've been calling this the sort of Vince Lombardi moment. You, I don't know if you've heard that story where Vince Lombardi, his team wins the Super Bowl and he comes back in the first practice. He holds up a, a football and says, gentlemen, this is a football. Mm-hmm. Right. So I feel like that's sort of my voice in this book is, is to not get rid of, but take those four S's and say, yes, let's put those to the side and let's try to hold up a football again, namely planting churches. Right. We're church planters. So we need to know what a church is. So my definition of success, what I understand to be a reflection of scriptures, understanding of success is to plant churches. And a church is the regular gathering of Christians who have covenanted or agreed to preach the gospel to portray the gospel and to protect the gospel. So the gathering to agree, that's that statement of beliefs. We believe in the true gospel. We're preaching it. We're gathering to preach it regularly, portray it. That's baptism and Lord's Supper. I would even say loving one another, as Jesus says in John 13, and then protecting the gospel. That's membership and discipline led by healthy pastors. First Timothy three, Titus one, first Peter five, healthy pastors. That's a church. And so insofar as we do that, that's success. Whether or not we spread to a bunch, whether or not we have a really big size, whether or not we ever get financially self-sufficient, none of those things get to dictate success. And so I would argue those are the things insofar as you have two or three gathering together in Jesus's name to do those things, man, you've done it. So just a little side road here. If there are 20 people meeting for a house church yeah, and they get together and they have a fellowship meal and they have their Bible study and they pray together and they love one another and they want to see their neighbors come to their house church. Is that a church? Yeah. I've been asked that question numerous times. I think the Bible is less interested in about where the church meets 
house church, church building, school, more so than it's interested in those ideas that we just talked about. So therefore, I would argue, yeah, exactly. If, if there's 20 people meeting in a house and they've agreed together, they're regularly gathering, preaching the one true gospel, and then they're baptizing and they're taking the Lord's Supper, those that believe that gospel and they're taking members in, they're right, they're marking people off, right? So this whole notion that Jesus talks about in Matthew 16, binding and loosing on earth as it is in heaven. And insofar as they're doing that, then yeah, that's a that's a church. And one thing I think that could be misinterpreted is we're not only looking for smaller churches, but I just want to say that that's not not a success. It is a success. Uh, whereas it's so easy to look at the guys that planting churches and they're kind of writing the books and on the conference speaking tour circuit and they're sort of, they got hundreds and thousands and they've multiplied, they got all these people and we tend to point at them. And it's, it's actually possible that that 20 person church might be a better success than that other one that's got all the sizzle. I, I think pastors who are pastoring a 75 person church or a 150 person church or whatever, the, the, the smaller church tend to think, yeah. It's the bigger churches that are the city on a hill, that are the light shining. They're having an impact in our city and in our culture in a way that I'm not. And you can feel like you're failing because you're not having the impact they're having. And Bob, I'm sure you've heard this, right? I mean, how many pastors are so discouraged, right? And many of them for good reason. But how many of those pastors are discouraged because they're small when they shouldn't be discouraged? You know, and so I want to take those people back in the book. I talk about this guy that I read an article where after he didn't meet the indomitable five-year mark, so many church plants, whatever, 75, 80% don't make it past five years. And he's writing an article and he used the word failed. They didn't get there. And he said, we quote unquote, we failed. And yet this brother was preaching the gospel. He was gathering people. He was evangelizing the lost. He was taking care of the saints. And the thing I talk about in the book is brother, you didn't fail. You didn't fail just because your church didn't get more north of 20 or 30 people and last more than four or five years doesn't mean, brother, you you failed any more than the church that's preaching the wrong gospel. That is a thousand people is succeeding. And so I think what I'm trying to fight for here is is to let's let's get back into the scriptures. Let those scriptures be centered and orient all the rest of our understanding of success. And I think what we're going to find is, is those pastors, those church planners, they're going to be so much more encouraged to stay at the work because they're seeing these little things happen uh, and being encouraged, God is at work. And so instead of using Wall Street to measure success, right, we let Christ measure success. So I was recently with a, a group of pastors at a national event, and we were talking about, you know, what's how are things going? What's going on? One friend of mine, he uh, he's in a building project. I said, how's it going? He said, we think we're going to be in by the spring. That's great. I said, so like, like, what are you running on Sunday? Are you doing two services? And he, you know, we've been at this for four years. And he said, we're pushing 800 people. And I walked away and thought, I've been at this for 15 years. <laughs> I'm not seeing 800 people. Right, and it's right. easy to ask, what am I not doing right? Because it it feels like if if I'm doing these things right, if 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 I build it, they should yeah. come, right? right? And Bob, the question for you, like, has that affected your your joy in Christ in some capacity? Has it checked it in ways that it maybe shouldn't? I, I think it's it's easy for us to 
experience discouragement. And, and part of it, Nathan, I think is built out of this passion that we all have to want to reach people. To want to see, we want to see the transforming yes. work of the gospel in people's yes. lives. Yes. We see it happen with the handful that we've got in front of us, but we want to see that multiplied and explode and revival happen. And when it's the handful in front of us, it's going, so Lord, why is it not 800 like my brother in Texas has, has got coming? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's so true. You're exactly right. And insofar as we're burdened, by the the lostness all around us and we're not seeing them come up and to make us into 800 i think that's a that's an appropriate measure of uh discouragement but i think what's not healthy is i mean ministry is so hard in and of itself right there's so many things to be discouraged by as it is so let's be dis- let's be if we can say this discouraged by the right things instead of i would want to say to the brother like brother you don't need to be discouraged by the fact that this guy has you know, 800 people and you have 100 people any more than a parent should be discouraged because they have two kids and their best friends have five kids, you know? So uh, let's be discouraged in the right way for the right things instead of being overly discouraged in ways in which, you know, we shouldn't be because we're letting the business world speak into us and orient our success. So my tendency, I think a lot of us, our tendency when we look at somebody who is experiencing that kind of explosive growth in their church planting and go, is it something about their gifting? In other words, do I need to adjust what I'm doing and be a different kind of person? Or is there a program they're running that they've found the magic key? If I just find that program and implement that, that's where I'm going to see it go. Um, And and there may be some of that that we need to evaluate. But ultimately, we have to come back and say, this is God's business. Um, if, if we're faithful in what we're called to do, it's God's business who comes, right? That's exactly right. I, I loved, I don't know if, I'm sure you've read that book by Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism. I love that book. Mm-hmm. And Coleman in there talks about the need to, how, how Jesus's plan to right share the gospel with the nations was to invest in a few of whom the nations would listen to. And so I think in the same way, uh, what we're trying to do is if the Lord entrusts whatever, however many people to me, I need to take care of them, love them, in addition to spreading the gospel to the lost. But I'm trying to invest in those guys, just as Jesus invested in that 12 and even in that inner three for the sake of winning them and strengthening them to have them go out and reach the masses. And so the numbers are not really under my control. What is under my control is the people that God gave me. And I think the more that we treat the people that God gives us like pawns in our evangelistic endeavors, wherein they don't feel seen, they don't feel loved, they don't feel known, but instead we just want to use them to go get more people for Jesus, then I, sh- I think we show them uh, a Jesus that is not real. Jesus mm-hmm. loved his people. He saw his people. Think about those broken people that loved being around him because they felt seen and known and loved. We want to have pastors that plant churches that are not metaphorically always looking over the person's shoulder at the stuff going on behind them instead of the person that's right in front of them. And the more that we do invest in them, love them, teach them, the more that those guys will go and evangelize the lost. And then we just leave the numbers up to the Lord, just as Mark four says, right? We plant the seed, we water and we go to sleep and growth comes and we know not how. Yeah, I want to uh, talk about how you identify um, a person who is qualified 
to plant. You know, at, at the Great Commission Collective, we've got an assessment that we do to try to help someone determine, is God setting you apart as a planter? Dave Harvey's written the book, Am I Called?, which is a helpful tool for those who are thinking about planting. And there's Here's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you guys at Treasuring Christ together in your church planting network, when you're sitting down with somebody who says, I'm wondering if God is calling me to be a planter, what are the essentials that you would say, okay, we've got to make sure these are in place to know whether God has called you to this. Yeah, amen. And at uh, the Treasure in Christ Together Network, we're taking a look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, right? Making sure deliberately walking through those qualifications of a pastor, right? So that's one of the things I talk about in the book is, is pastors lead churches and you're trying to plan a church. And so you're not first an entrepreneur, you're a pastor. And so therefore, do you meet the qualifications of a pastor? So we're looking at all of those uh, things that Paul lays out so clearly and so helpfully. And right, you can go into each of those words and double click on each of them, mm-hmm. right, and try to evaluate this brother in light of those realities. So I'm starting there, you know, with the qualifications of a pastor. And then secondly, uh, we're then taking a look at the elders of that per- of that church. So we're going to we're, we're going to trust that the church that they're at churches plant churches. Right. And so we want to see is that brother have a faithful life and doctrine inside the life of that church? Is he working these things out? Have we seen them? Do these elders agree that that's the case? And then thirdly, even before those elders, does the wife think, right? Mm. He matches that, those ideas and those that Paul lays out. And then fourthly, uh, we're then asking this brother if he has interest and uh, the desire to go and do the kind of work that it's going to take. Yeah, First Peter five is this is this not under compulsion, but yes, yeah, You're right, willingly. I want to go do this in this place. So, yeah, I think those four things, you know, bathed in prayer, is how we're going to evaluate. So, two questions out of that. First, you kind of scooted past that it's churches planting churches, and you're counting on elders to do this. If a guy fresh out of seminary who has kind of been going to a church, you know, because you do that when you're in seminary, but he hadn't really been actively involved because he's been doing seminary and all that. But he really has a desire. You would say, wait, we don't have a Lone Ranger church planter who can just come in and and you guys are going to endorse him and, and send him out? Yeah. If, if this brother has been so committed to seminary that he's not committed to the work of the church, yet he wants to start a church, then I'll say, brother, you need to go spend some time in a church. So, uh Right. Seminary equips us with some tools, but they're for the aim of shepherding, as Jesus said in his first church planting cohort. Right. He says to his lead planter, right, tend my sheep, right, care for my sheep, feed my sheep. So if he's not been doing that, then I don't have reason to think that he's going to do that. Well, I I really don't have much data to evaluate his fitness uh, Mm -hmm. as to whether or not his interest matches his ability. So, yeah, we're going to slow down and tell him, yeah, no, 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 you need to be doing some work here in the life of the church. Um, and it's not even, even just the elders, because I want the congregation to say, yes, we've, you know, a, a few of us have benefited from this brother's ministry. So the congregation goes, and man, I think, Bob, when that brother lands and, and things, life hits him in the face, ministry hits him in the face, he'll be able to call back. This was not just me that said right. I wanted to do this. But right, I'll be able to say that those wise men, those elders in that congregation said, I can do this, right? I mean, imagine how encouraging it was for for Timothy to receive the blessing of Paul. So you got it, brother, just keep going, mm-hmm. right? And so in the same way, that church should be handling that brother before he goes. Just as a side note to that, the way that we've handled 
identifying elders in our local congregation is to look around and say, who's doing the work of an elder? And we just need to recognize that God is at work in that man's life and heart. And we go to that man and say, it appears to us that this is a a gifting that God's given you. And we want to acknowledge that and bring you on. So in the same way with a, with a planter, you're looking around and saying, who's already giving evidence that this is the heart that God has put in them. Yes. That's I mean, you can, I'm sure Bob, you've sat around elder tables where you're worried about Sally and, you know, you know, is anybody following up Sally? Well, you know, John over there has been trying to meet with her to try to help her and her husband together. Like, and then all of a sudden you, well, what about uh, Bob over there? We've been trying to get after him. Well, you know what? John's been reading up with him too. And I'm, well, wow, exactly. This- and here's the second thing. So somebody who has the desire and somebody who has the, that meets the qualifications is, mm-hmm. is a godly above reproach man. Does there need to be particular gifting that we're looking for? Because what, what if this guy is able to teach, but he's not, he's not a guy that's going to draw a crowd to come hear him teach. Yeah. Great question. And I think, I think what I want to say is, is we want to first highlight the sufficiency of Christ and of scripture. And so therefore, while this brother, if he meets all the qualifications, the elders think he's good. His wife thinks he's good. He has the desire. It fits. Uh, however, we look at his deportment. We look, as you said, at his gifting and what we do typically, right. Is, is we look at past grace and we evaluate past grace, how to know to trust the Lord for future grace. And so past grace might lead us to look at this brother's life and see he's not the kind of guy that's going to garner the masses. Maybe he is, maybe he's not, but based off of past grace, it would seem that maybe, you know, as best we can tell, we don't know, but as best we can tell, you know, he probably won't garner the masses. I think what I would say to him is not, you know, as the church planning conversation would say, well, he should go pastor an existing church. I think that's wrong. Now, maybe, maybe that's true. But I think what I would say to him is I just would try to orient his expectations, right? I would just help him see, all right, brother, you you probably, you don't have the kind of personality based off of looking at past grace that you're going to have, you know, a hundred, two, three, four, five, a thousand people. But brother, you might have just based off of what we can tell in past right. grade, 20, 30, 40 people. Are you okay with that? You know, are you okay with that? We, you know, we planted a church in D.C. I talked to church planners that want to come into the city, and I have that conversation all the time. Hmm. They they pick this particular part of the city. I say, okay, just so you know, <laughs> right, these are the kinds of people that live there. This is kind of the way it's probably going to go based on looking at past grace. Maybe it's not. Are you willing, if it turns out that way five years from now, are you okay with that? And if they hmm. say yes, I'll say, well, great, man, let's go. Let's do it. But if they say, uh, I want to go somewhere else, I, I really find, kind of need to be self-sufficient financially and kind of at least 100 people. So, well, maybe, brother, you should go down to Atlanta, you know, or something like that, but, <laughs> or somewhere else, you know. Is there a stewardship issue in churches supporting 30 people church plants in a part of Washington, D.C., that these churches are not self-sufficient? Is there a point where we go, this is not good stewardship? I think, I think yes and no. It's a great and complicated question, Bob. I'm sure you've worked through that yourself. It's, it's, um, so I think on the one hand, when we think about the communities we plant in, you know, I think it's, it's ordinary maybe to have some expectations towards some to be financially self-sufficient such that you might decide it's best to move on. But I think in other communities, especially like, uh, you know, more impoverished communities, uh, you know, I'm thinking about more, uh, black and brown kind of communities. We planted a church out of our church right here in the middle of the city in Columbia Heights among Spanish speakers. And when we planted that church, we communicated to our congregation 
and to that brother and his wife and those that were going with him, we assume you'll probably never be financially self-sufficient. We knew that when we went into it and now they're five years in and they're doing fantastic. I mean, they're seeing Spanish speakers come to faith in Christ. They're being built up that models of success that we mentioned. It's all going and we would not dare pull a rug out from under that because they've got 70 people, most of which don't make much money. They probably never really will. And so in that sense, I would say, no, they are succeeding and we wouldn't pull the rug out from under them. In the same way that we might plant a church in Uganda or a church in other third world countries where self-sufficiency is probably not going to be achieved, but it's the gospel being watered and, and growing there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I want to just touch on some of the the statements you make in, in part two of the book, because part one is how do you prepare the man? Who's the right guy? How do you get him ready and, and do the planting? Part two is then uh, what is what is it that you're aiming for? And, and I think it's good. We've already talked sent by a church, not by a parachurch. Yeah. The importance of having a, a local church doing the planting. Um, you, you talk about the importance of the team and not the man. Typically, there's there's a guy. I mean, when when we planted the church that I'm in here in Little Rock, I was the guy who said, "Okay, I will bear the weight. I can't bear all of it. I need these brothers around me." But at the end of the day, the buck has to stop somewhere. So, explain what you mean by the team, not the man. Yeah. Well, we see this pattern in Jesus sending out the disciples, right? Two by two. They were never alone. Uh, We see Paul is never really traveling alone. He's always got people with him. So in the same way, I think it's wise. You know, I can't say that it's sinful just to go alone. We're not saying that. We just think, I think a matter of wisdom would have us to go in at least with a, you know, a couple elder ready guys. And the reason for that, I think is so much what Paul says, all of my anxiety for the churches he talks about in second Corinthians 11, right? It's church planning is hard. And so therefore having somebody else to share the burdens of ministry with you, the encouragement and discouragement of uh, ministry with you, uh, to be walking that out with people just thirdly, just to have more boots on the ground is helpful. And so, yeah, going with some other person, maybe that person's not elder ready. That other man is not ready to be an elder from the beginning, but someone you see as potentially elder ready going with them Mm. to share that ministry load, I think will set you up in a better way than if you went by yourself. And if it's a church that's doing that, that sometimes means you're taking key people in your congregation. You are, you, there's a self-inflicted wound here to plant (laughs) somewhere else. And that's, that's hard for us to go. I'm taking I'm taking the guy who's been helping with worship on a, you know, and, and sending him out. And then this other person who's a key small group leader, and that, that's going to leave me hobbling over here. But, Amen. but are we committed to the advancement of the gospel and the planning of churches? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and there's one thing, Bob, I think this gets to your question that I didn't mention before. And those qualifications of a pastor, things that we're looking at. And this is really chapter six of the book that I think is lost too often. I feel like it's coming back a little bit, but in the church planning kind of world, the whole reason why we plant churches, the reason why we plant churches, I'm going to argue, is to treasure Christ together. Hmm. That's the goal. So I want to make sure the planter is doing that. He wants to, he's the purpose of this is not to build his name. The purpose is not to build the brand. The purpose is not just to plant churches for the sake of planting churches. So you can say you planted a bunch of churches. The goal is to treasure Christ together. And if that's the goal of the planter, it's still going to be hard, that self-inflicted wound. However, he's going to be willing to 
cut himself and cut a finger off so it'll grow over there right. because he's so committed to the treasuring of Christ. Right. And so that helps. The planter, you say, needs to be focused on being needy, not being hip. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Well, there in that chapter, I'm talking about the place there. I think that, uh, you know, we kind of did this. Let's plant churches in places that are needy yeah. and not just cool. Got it. Uh, and and it, that doesn't mean to say that the hip places don't need churches. I'm not saying that. It's just that having been in, in Washington, D.C., and in, one might even say I did plant a church in a place that was kind of hip. So that's fair. But nevertheless, as I've sit here, when people come and talk to me about planting churches, inevitably, it's rare that they talk to me about planting churches where they actually are really needed. And it, they want to kind of find a little niche where it's kind of cool and that sort of thing. And so I just want planters to try to evaluate not the places that might be sexy and and kind of hip and cool and try to think about Boise, Idaho or the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio or what's going on in Possum Trot, Kentucky. I don't know. Like those places need gospel center churches too. They're not cool, but they are in need. There's cities out there that need. So let's try to evaluate cities to plant churches in mm-hmm. but where there's need. Um at at the end of the day how do, if if the goal is spiritual maturity spiritual vitality a, a group of people who are growing in Christ who th- that's what we're aiming for how, how do we measure that like month in and month out i can measure the offering and i can measure how many folks were at church last week and how many are in small groups and those aren't bad metrics to have right, right. but how can i measure whether there's real spiritual depth and growth going on among my people. Yeah. You got a, you got a magic bullet for that one? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I wish I did. It's a great question. And the answer is a frustrating one. And I think by the Lord's design. I remember sitting in a meeting years ago here in the city where the late Tim Keller was in the room. And all different people were there. And they were asking him these questions about sort of the way his approach to understanding the gospel and church planning. And a man raised his hand. It was an older gentleman had been pastor for 30 years or so. And he raised his hand and he asked Keller, he said, how is it we can be sure that what you're telling us is not just some other iteration of the newest and latest thing like purpose-driven life or you know, how, how can we be sure? And I'll never forget Keller's answer. His answer was the reason why it's not just an iteration, just a, a thing we're at is because it's hard. <laughs> And when we evaluate our ministries as to how it's going, it's hard to measure it with these kinds of metrics. And so, again, if the goal is to treasure Christ together, right? I mean, think about your marriage. Am I loving my wife more today than I was yesterday? I mean, it's hard to measure that. And so I think the way in which we do that is just, I think, first, measure the strength, the clarity, the biblical fidelity of your sermons. And are they centering on the excellencies of Christ? And then secondly, is the church designed to praise Christ? Um, And are those people developing hungers and appetites wherein people are not just wanting better music and better programs, but do you find that the ministry, the people under your ministry are increasingly delighting in Christ and hoping in heaven? And the more of that stuff, and that's hard to measure, but I think that's the metrics that the Lord give us. Again, 1 Thessalonians, because it's on my mind. That's what Paul says. It's going great because of the evident gospel fruit. When when I get the text message or the email from somebody who says, you know what you were talking about last Sunday? Well, here's what happened this week where I I had the chance to apply that or use that or how the Lord did that. That's where you go. That's why I'm doing this. 
That's what this is all yeah. about. Can you send that to me in the email? Right. I can file it away and go back and read it later when I'm having a hard day. <laughs> I, I have a whole stack of, of notes up above the dryer yeah. that my wife says, what are we saving these for? And I said, I'm saving these so I can go back and read them on those days <laughs> when I go, why am I? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Well, I think it's helpful to have conversations like the one we've just had with Nathan Knight talking about planters and church planting and how we can think more biblically about that and how we can be encouraged, even if our metrics aren't measuring the standards of success that we think they ought to be measuring or that some people expect of us. Again, let me encourage you to get a copy of the book Planting by Pastoring by Nathan Knight. It's a part of the Nine Marks series of books. So grateful for all that Nine Marks is doing to help equip us and challenge us as pastors. Go to the show notes for information about how to get a copy of the book Planting by Pastoring. I also mentioned Dave Harvey's book, Am I Called? And the assessment that we have at the Great Commission Collective for those who are thinking about church planting. You'll find information about the book and about the assessment in the show notes. That assessment, by the way, is free. You can take that online. So whether you're a church or an individual and you're thinking about church planting and you'd like to know, does do I fit? Do we have the right person in place? That's what the assessment is all about. And again, information is available in the show notes for that assessment. Now, next time on The Bounce, we are living and ministering today in the middle of a gender and sexual revolution that's taking place in this culture. There are revolutionaries who are trying to undo and overthrow what has been believed by Christians and by non-Christians for centuries. How do we do ministry in this environment? How do we train our people to understand the goodness of God when it comes to biblical sexuality and biblical gender? And especially for youth pastors, how do you deal with the confusion that's going on among the students who are being bombarded daily with messages that conflict with what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality? Ryan Welsh joins us to talk about that next time on The Bounce.